very good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gents. And this is the Essacos podcast. Uh, we are covering the topic of acetabular retroversion in this podcast. Over the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we've got experts uh, both from the US and the UK, and we'll be discussing uh, this problem in detail. So we've got uh, Professor Anil Ranavat from Hospital for Special Surgery, New York. Uh, Anil, welcome. Thank you. And we've got uh, Dr. Joe Rasbaski from the Whale Clinic in Colorado. Hey, Joe, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And I've got myself uh, hosting this uh, with these two heavyweights, uh, Vikas Kanduja, uh, Hip Preservation Lead from Cambridge, UK, and also the Isikos Hip Arthroscopy Committee Chair. So let's start with you, Anil. Uh, how do you define in your practice uh, acetabular retroversion? And when the patient is coming to you in clinic, how, how do you actually assess these patients, uh, both clinically and radiologically? Yeah, so, so I mean, look, m my analysis of this is whether I think this cup is actually truly a retroverted cup, like a total hip uh, hemispheric cup that's been put in backwards, or is actually a, a normal cup with anterior overhang. And that's where the crossover sign can be tricky. So the first thing I do on an x-ray, once I verify the x-ray is a good x-ray, is I assess the posterior wall. And if the posterior wall is center of the femoral head, I'm assuming that there's the posterior wall is not dysplastic. If the posterior wall is medial, then I'm worried you know, uh, much more that the, the cup may be too anterior, and if the posterior wall is uh, lateral, I'm sorry, if it's medial, it's too retroverted, and lateral, it's too anterior. So, so assessing the posterior wall is my first step. Once I assess the posterior wall, then I assess my crossover. And then I assess my ischial spine, and then I, I, I am thinking, is this a, a normal acetabulum that's spun? or an anterior overhang. Because if you take a normal acetabulum that's truly retroverted and you take a lot of the anterior wall, you're making a normal socket globally deficient. And that's where arthroscopy gets into trouble. But if you have a normal posterior wall and an anterior overhang, there you could take some bone from the front. So to me, assessing the posterior wall and its relationship to the center of the femoral head is my most critical analysis on an x-ray. And that's where I start. I don't know, Joe, what do you do? I think, you know, what you said is exactly how I go about it. And that's exactly it. I, I rely upon the AP pelvis to make this determination. And I think the, uh, the critical point is that you need, you need to start with a good AP pelvis, which oftentimes we're not getting um, for whatever reason. So we try to instill it in the x-ray text that that's critical because we're making a lot of conclusions uh, based upon that sort of perfect AP pelvis. Um, but exactly what you said, because I like to rely a lot upon the AP pelvis because that's what we're using interoperatively um, during the periacetabular osteotomy. And, and we're very all the time having to find that posterior wall uh, and the anterior wall and and know exactly where we are because one of the most common problems we see, or at least I see when I'm getting seeing second opinions is 
that in the case of just normal developmental dysplasia, in, in an attempt to gain lateral coverage, the uh, socket gets retroverted. And so that's one of those errors that we're tr I'm trying to avoid when I'm just doing sort of a standard PAO. But yes, as far as when assessing retroversion, trace the posterior wall, see where it sits in relationship to the uh, femoral head. And like you said, if it looks like it's a retroverted cup, um, you know, because I, I do hip replacements as well. And so I'm always kind of focused on that inclination and antiversion. If it looks like it's a retroverted cup, um, then I start thinking that that's something that would be um, maybe uh, not necessarily um, an arthroscopic solution and more of a open uh, antiverting solution, uh, getting to sort of the crux that you said. You don't, you don't want to create under coverage by trying to force it into the arthroscopic picture, uh, arthroscopic realm. And so, but as far as assessing it, yeah, that's exactly how I go about it. But guys, I, I, I've got a problem with this. You know, we rely so much on that plain radiograph, but we know very well that, you know, it's going to be affected by whether you're going to be taking those radiographs in the supine position or in the standing position and what the pelvic tilt of that particular individual is, whether they've got any spinal issues. And we're talking about, if if we get to arthroscopy, we're talking about taking millimeters off to to correct those angles. And then we rely on these so-called inappropriate x-rays to make our decisions whether the patient's got retroversion or not. So comments on that? Anil, you first. Yeah, because I think that's a great point. Obviously, uh, I started off doing, um, you know, supine uh, uh, x-rays. I am now a standing x-ray guy. I believe in the functional lordosis of the pelvis. It, it really helps me a lot to dictate whether I do this arthroscopically or or push it more to my open colleagues. Um, that's one. But I am a fan of 3D CAT scans. To uh, my second pearl, if my first pearl is to assess the, the posture wall relative to the center of the femoral head and whether it's medial, thinking retroversion, lateral, you're thinking antiversion, spot on, you're thinking good cup. My second pearl is I look at the verticality of the posture wall on a 3D CAT scan. And if it's very vertical, you can have a degree of posture wall dysplasia. So that's my second kind of low pearl. I don't know, Joe, what do you, do you ever look at CAT scans, look at the posture wall? What do you think? I, I don't commonly get a 3D CAT scan if it's just going to be a standard FAI case or if it's going to be um, a standard PAO case. But in the less common occurrence, when it's a version phenomenon, that's where I do find it to be helpful, um, both as a secondary confirmation and, and for uh, just better assessment of it. Since I do do um, total hips, I... If, if someone has any degree or concern of lumbar spine pathology, scoliosis, prior fusion, I have a low threshold to get sitting and standing lateral films to assess um, spinal pelvic motion. I can't say that in the case of these retroverted acetabulum that it necessarily uh, changes my um, you know, opinion based upon just the AP plane films. Like in the total hip world, it might be something that pushes me towards something like a dual mobility um, because I'm concerned about instability. But in I, I can't say that it changed it, but I have done it and I've observed it. But I, I haven't. It hasn't changed my decision making so much once I've made 
that determination that I think it needs an antiverting PAO. Okay, so fine. Um, in, in in our practice, uh, every every young adult hip actually gets a low dose CT scan with a couple of slices of the knee because, as we are finding that about fifty, in fact, in fact, fifty to probably sixty percent of these patients will have some femoral version abnormalities. Which, if we didn't get those three D CT scans with slices of the knee, we are actually missing and management of these patients, even for the straightforward FAI ones, is changing considerably because of these 3D CT scans. Okay, so we, we'll park that there. But in terms of planning now, uh, Joe, we'll start with you. So when when do you think these patients uh, can get away with arthroscopic interventions in your practice? And when do you think these patients will actually need um, a PAO? So what's what, what are your uh, pearls there? How are you actually making that decision? Yeah, so kind of getting back to what Anil was saying regarding sort of where the crossover sign occurs, if it's um, if it's something that's happening towards the center of the femoral head and it looks like it is sort of focal retroversion, those are ones that I would put into the category of something that could be treated by trimming a few millimeters of the rim and cor correcting that. Whereas, and again, I do think of it this way, is if it's, you know, sort of a, a hemispheric cup that was placed, if it looks like it is a cup that was placed and it is um, placed with no antiversion and, and uh, either zero degrees aversion or, or retroverted from there, where I don't think that an arthroscopic intervention is going to do it justice, I see those as ones where, um, you know, you do the PAO cuts and you can just simply uh, antivert it to, to resolve the problem. I think that's ultimately going to be more elegant than putting them through. I think the I think where you can get into trouble is trying to do too much arthroscopically and then that failing and then needing to go and have the PAO because I feel like those patients and some of the data has supported that scope first followed by you know PAO down the line. Those in general don't seem to do as well clinically. Sure. And Anil, in your practice, how do you actually plan and make the differentiation between which ones are going to do well with a scope uh, versus a PAO? Yeah, I mean, I think Joe and I are, you know, similar, you know, mild retroversion. And there's there's been literature published in, in our, you know, various journals that show mild retroversion can be handled arthroscopy, arthroscopically. And more severe cases, as Joe's implying, probably should be an antiverting PAO. But I want to just point out a couple, two other facts. One, antiverting PAOs are still the minority of PAOs. This is not like 99% of PAOs are antiverting. This is like 2 to 8% of PAOs. That's one. So it's still a relatively rare occurrence. And two, it also, my big, another determination is what is the, the femoral morphology, as you point out, Vikas, look like? If I see a really big cam, then, and, and even, you know, moderate retroversion, I'm going to go for that big cam. Hmm. But if I see a really circular head, I'm not. So, so again, uh, that's, that's a great point, right? What's a, what's a big cam? Is it, is it an alpha angle of 60 plus or are you looking at the 3D CT? And what's a small cam? What's your objective, objective methodology of seeing those cams? And, and how do you assess that? I mean, I, 
I do all. You know, I, I use uh, I use the CT and I use a plain X-ray. I use an alpha angle. I use a 3D uh, objective assessment. I also use head neck offset. Um, okay. But but I, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people that have 61 cams. That's not a big cam. I'm talking about 75 plus. That's a big cam. That one I will definitely address arthroscopically. Sure. Sure. Likewise, okay. and just getting to that point, I I think that. Even in instances where you're, the rare instances where you're doing an antiverting PAO, and again, I think that situation is most commonly encountered, at least what I see after a, um, a failed attempt to lateralize and by atrogenically retroverting, I think it's most common in that scenario. But I think that addressing the acetabular version, addressing the large cam, I, I think that you should let that situation play out even before doing something to correct femoral version. Uh, I think I think that the need to do that is, um, there, there's a, a small number of cases where that's necessary and it would it's my clinical preference to see how things play out after correcting acetabular version, um, you know, restoring normal head neck offset before jumping into something like a, um, a femoral osteotomy. Sure. Okay, so we've, we've talked about uh, assessing these patients on radiographs and CT. We've talked about how we actually plan, whether we are going to go for a PAO versus uh, arthroscopy. Uh, now let's get to the operative bit. So some pearls from you, Anil, in tackling these uh, patients arthroscopically uh, for our listeners all around the world. What should they not be doing? What should they be careful about when they are actually doing uh, arthroscopy for retroversion? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say as I've gotten more gray hair and, and, and almost no hair uh, over the years, <laughs> I would say that um, aggressive anterior rim trimming is uh, not the way to go. And the amount of bone I take on the acetabulum is less and less every year. There are certain cases that are obvious, but I am I am much more of minimal resection on the acetabulum and over resection or aggressive resection on the femur. Um, uh, that's my first pearl, and my my second pearl is marry the um, amount of resection to their physical exam. If they have really loss of internal rotation at 90 degrees, I will be more likely to be more over aggressive. If they're they have 10, 20, say 20 to 25, then I'm not going to be nearly aggressive on the bone. So I really dictate my bone resection based off their physical exam and their motion their motion loss, quote unquote. And are you still uh, following the dictum of one millimeter equals uh one degree on the center edge angle approximately I do, but i mean i mean yeah i mean i do but that that's you know you know that's a, you know that's from Dean Matsada, you know that's from yep. an ap pelvis and yep. i don't fully agree with that because i mean i'm sorry it's an ap of the hip and to joe's point you know we're it's more of an ap pelvis that we look at that so uh i am less i'm more and more cautious as i've gotten older about rim resections in general especially in the retroverted acetabulum. I am much more likely to get the motion back from the femur than the acetabulum. Sure. And what about you, Joe? Some technical pearls whilst you're doing an antiverting PAO? 
Yeah. So as I said, I will often get a 3D CT scan and have an idea on the, the amount of retroversion there is globally. And so I'll have an idea going in on a rough number of, of what I think, you, how much antiversion I think is needed. Um, but then the tech, from a technical standpoint, I do get a sup, supine um, AP pelvis before because I, I want to see, I'm, I'm trying to mimic the situation that I'm working with when they're on the table. I kind of want everything, I want to take out as many variables as possible. So then I'll try um, before I even get started to have that AP pelvis entirely matched um, to what I had preoperatively. So I um, kind of set my um, you know, neutralized things there. And then very careful about the interoperative fluoroscopy that I'm, that I'm getting that picture of the hip um, that I see from the uh, preoperative x-ray, just because I'm making so many assumptions back uh, um, that come back to that. And then when I have a rough idea, once we make the cuts and, you know, sort of the retroacetabular fracture, uh, you have that supraacetabular pin and I'll move that to, um, and, and only sort of internally rotate it to the degree that I have preoperatively planned and see then what the, what the anterior and posterior walls look like. And that sometimes is, it doesn't quite look like I've had enough, or maybe I've added too much antiversion based upon what I would want sort of naturally. Um, and I'll fine tune it from there. But that's sort of, uh, I think the most important thing, at least, and I'm sort of early in this journey, but um, I find that perfectly matching the preoperative um, shape of the obturators um, and, you know, the teardrop, making sure that everything is completely standardized there before making some assumptions. That's how I go about it. I think those are the most important steps where I spend the most time. Cool. That's great, Joe. And then finally coming on to uh, post-op rehab and outcomes after you've done your wonderful resections uh, or, or a PAO. Any, any specific uh, tips on that in terms of patients with retroversion or is it a standard uh, rehab program for your hip scopes for these patients as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I've evolved my rehab protocol over the years between a loose hip, uh, which is, you know, clearly like, you know, a dysplastic or pushing the envelope of hip arthroscopy hip. A, I call it a schizophrenic hip, a medium hip that has some sounds of FAI, some signs of instability, and a truly you, stiff hip. You're definitely so put, showing signs of a midlife crisis. You're calling hip schizophrenic now. That's interesting, <laughs> I don't it's You know, in America, you have to uh, talk to patients in a very uh, realistic way. So I always say that, and I always get a chuckle. So that, yes. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that there's definitely a, a very common component of that. And then, but then you have this, this hip is a stiff hip. It's a truly stiff hip. Uh, so I, I usually... If they have motion loss and they have, you know, a cam in the front and and some rim over coverage or maybe a twinge of retroversion, then I move them fast. I wait, pay them fast. You know, it's my more accelerated program. So I have a slow program for instability, a medium program for that quasi hip or schizophrenic hip. And then I have my accelerated program for my stiff hips. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So Joe, where do your hips stand in, in uh, whale? Do you have any schizophrenic hips out there? Or uh, <laughs> most of them are, are the standard hips? 
I don't call them that, but I think, yeah, that what he describes is everywhere. We deal with them and we deal with other, other mental illness as well and, and psychological <laughs> illness, but um, no, but it, it honestly depends. A lot of times we're doing these in combo where it, it'll be a lot of, there'll be an MRI and there'll be some interarticular concerns. So a lot of these aren't happening in isolation. So I think a lot of it depends upon, um, whoever I'm teaming up with who's doing the, the arthroscopic portion, if, I, if it's somebody else, and that'll dictate a lot of what goes on. As I said, the ones that I tend to see are these ones that are sort of a revision scenario that's an iatrogenic retroversion, and they often have a lot going on. So the, But from a PAO perspective, I usually just do 30 pounds flat foot weight bearing for six weeks, and then um, after, assuming the x-rays look good at uh, six weeks, advance them. Okay. Time's flying by, but I, I want to bring in one sort of controversial question in here towards the end, and just, uh, there may not be a right uh, answer to this, but just your thoughts, really. Now, most of these patients who've got retroversion will also have uh, retroverted femurs, and it's it's almost becoming uh, the terrible triad of the hips. I mean, if you've got both these retroverted femurs and uh, retroverted acetabulary, how, how do you handle those, Joe? Are you going in for a double osteotomy in these individuals or um, you're just waiting for them to develop arthritis and then do a joint replacement? How are you handling these patients? I have been focusing on the uh, acetabulum. Um, you know, if, if it's a combination, um, I'm not, I haven't been doing these uh, joint procedures where you're doing both. I think that's a lot of surgery and I, and you know, I've seen some people, you know, just empirically respond well to correcting uh, the acetabular side. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that and seeing what their hip function is like after, you know, six months after, you know, most of the recovery is done. And then you can make a decision on the femur. I just think it's a lot to, I, I, I always understand people wanting to group things together, but I don't know if I totally understand the interplay enough to say with confidence that we should correct both at the same time and go with it. Um, but that's kind of my thought. Now I'm curious as to Anil's thought. Yeah. So yeah. You, I mean, to me, data. yeah. Anil. To me, it's, it, it's, it's very dictated. I mean, I, I agree with Joe, a, a femoral derotation and that, and the PAO is a big whack and, and, and that's done even at HSS really sparingly. We've done it but it's, it's not a common occurrence. Uh, to me, what would drive me is the foot progression angle. If you truly have an external foot progression angle, then I will go femur first. I would scope the hip, do a, an aggressive, uh, you know, do some rim, do an aggressive cam, and then do a derotation femoral osteotomy. But if they have anything near it, a neutral foot progression angle, then we'd scope the hip and then do a PAO. Um, a PAO is, I actually think, uh, although more complicated, a PAO is an easier recovery for the patient. Uh, we do most of our derotations through a nail. And although it's, you know, Dr. Bully, who's actually doing a uh, uh, Nisikos webinar, I think pretty soon, I'm, I'm just going to plug that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to plug that. Uh, he does it very slick, but it's still putting a nail through the abductors. It takes a long time for that. For that abductors to come back and the PAO when it's done well, uh, although it's you know it was considered an aggressive operation, the patients recover, you know, fairly fast. Um, so um, 
I really use the foot progression angle to, to guide my treatment in that scenario. Sure. Okay, that's great. And and I'm sure there are lots of physios out there who are listening to this podcast and as well, and they'll they'll probably say that we are biased, we are surgeons. All we've talked about is uh, arthroscopic interventions or PAOs. They'll say we they can make the patients better, these retroverted patients better by changing their pelvic tilt. What what are your thoughts on that? And do you, do you start with uh, physiotherapy for changing pelvic tilt for these patients, or you think the diascast and these patients actually do need some kind of an intervention, operative intervention? Well, I mean, you know, uh, you from the UK have you know have you know Damien Griffiths' his landmark paper has shown that uh, hip arthroscopy is superior to therapy, but it, it's not massively superior. Let, you know, you know, and and in that landmark study, um, I do think there's a role, and and I, uh, for for the vast majority of my patients, I give them a chance of physical therapy. I, you know, because obviously, as we talked about spinal pelvic parameters, and you know, your back protects your hip. So if your back works well, you can protect your hip. Um, it, a lot of it to me is chronicity of the symptoms. If you have a bad hip for a few weeks, I put you in PT and a good therapist can make that back work really well in a young patient and protect their hip. But there's certainly something there. I believe in it. Um, so the back is critical, but it's just, uh, it's not the panacea. It doesn't always work. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a job. Cool. And Joe? I'm always for them trying it. Yeah, I, I see these all these interventions, whether it's arthroscopy or a PAO, I... Um, I think there is like, like Anil said, there, there is a small difference. I do think that there's something there and I, I do want them to have tried and exhausted it before we take on a, a large intervention that has a long recovery and has a complication profile. Um, and so I think, um, I think, and I think some of these patients do well for a while and they may undergo some further degeneration in their spine and then our hand is forced, but at least we have tried something conservative, and we could all feel better about moving forward with a, a larger intervention. Brilliant. Okay, uh, ladies and gents, um, we've had fun talking to uh, Joe and Anil and getting their thoughts on how to manage patients with uh, retroversion. Just to recap, uh, it's important that you get standardized radiographs, uh, ideally standing, uh, to ensure that you negate the effect of the spine and also the pelvic tilt on these patients when you're assessing them. Uh, look at the posterior wall, as Anil and Joe have mentioned. That's that's your go-to sign. Uh, assess the degree of retroversion. Probably get a 3D CT scan. Uh, in in some places around the world, we get them routinely uh, prior to planning uh, your surgical intervention. Obviously, if there is a significant amount of retroversion, then you're thinking of an anti-verting uh, PAO, whereas minimal amount of retroversion can be managed with arthroscopic intervention appropriately. Anil beautifully described the three types of uh, hips that he gets in his practice, and most retroverted ones would be the stiff ones, so he'll probably get the accelerated protocol for them and the usual standard protocol in terms of post-op management for the anti-verting PAOs. And finally, before you subject your patients uh, to any kind of operative intervention, definitely a period of physiotherapy to help uh, the pelvic tilt and spine uh, would be a good idea. And only if that fails, then you think of operative intervention. 
Joanne Anil, do you think I've uh, I've captured the salient features appropriately? Do you want to add anything else, Anil? No, that was excellent. I guess only a, a proper Englishman could have used the King's English in such fine detail as you did. Oh my God, Joe, anything <laughs> bad? I, I agree. I'm not quite as eloquent as you, but thank you for that summary. Brilliant, guys. I had a lovely time chatting with you. Thank you very much for giving up your time for this Isakot podcast. Please uh, keep tuned for our next webinar on management of uh, uh, rotational abnormalities and version abnormalities of the, of the femur on the 5th uh, of December. And with that, a big thank you to the Isikos team behind the scenes for organizing this and to Anil and Joe for giving up their time for this. Thanks a ton, guys. Have a lovely evening.